Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today was just like any other day at work in the utility sector. 
As part of my job, I often find myself working on remote transmission lines, ensuring that everything is functioning smoothly. As I made my way along the designated right-of-way, my attention was caught by a sign that stood tall on the edge of the woods. It had a stern warning written in bold letters, Don't enter the woods. It struck me as odd, as I hadn't seen such a sign before during my routine inspections. Curiosity sparked within me, but a sense of caution held me back from venturing into the dense thicket. Nevertheless, my eyes couldn't help but dart toward the mysterious woods, seeking answers to the questions that now lingered in my mind. And that's when I saw it a chilling sight that sent shivers down my spine. Nestled among the trees, a wooden structure stood ominously. It was a gallows, ancient and weathered. My heart skipped a beat as I gazed upon the gallows, realizing that it held two figures, or rather, lifeless dummies dressed in black attire. Their eerie presence, suspended from the gallows by rough-hewn ropes, sent a wave of unease through my body. It was as if time had frozen in this desolate spot, where darkness and mystery coalesced. My fiancé, Stasha, and I decided to make a quick stop at Hatchet Creek for some fishing while on our way back from Flag Mountain. It was our first time seeing this area in daylight, and we were eager to enjoy its natural beauty. As luck would have it, Stasha urgently needed to relieve herself, so she ventured about 25 yards to my right to find a suitable spot. She mentioned that she was also on her menstrual cycle, adding a peculiar detail to the unfolding events. After being away for about five minutes, a loud crack shattered the peaceful atmosphere. Stasha quickly recounted that the sound came from a big tree branch breaking, merely 20 feet away from her. It was an unusual occurrence since there was no wind to cause such disturbance, and none of the surrounding trees showed any signs of movement. Upon her return, we were astonished to witness a large tree being forcefully toppled no more than 35 yards in front of us. It was a sight that defied rational explanation. The timing and proximity of these events led us to wonder if Stasha's pheromones might have attracted an alpha male Bigfoot. As she continued fishing, I couldn't resist exploring the area further. To my astonishment, I stumbled upon what appeared to be a footprint that could only belong to a Bigfoot. Excitedly, I captured several photos as evidence. Intrigued, I decided to follow the creek bed to my left and soon discovered even more distinct footprints, including one that resembled a massive handprint. It was a chilling and exhilarating moment, as I had never before encountered footprints like the ones I found that day. Leaving the footprints behind temporarily, we hurriedly departed to gather some casting powder. Returning to the site around 5.45 p.m., we began the meticulous process of casting the footprints. We allowed the casting material to set undisturbed for at least an hour, as dusk gradually descended upon the landscape. It was then, in the vicinity of the fallen tree, that we were startled by a series of haunting vocalizations, a distinct hoo-hoo-ha sound that sent a shiver down our spines. Intrigued and captivated by these inexplicable occurrences, I found myself drawn back to the area on three separate occasions. During my first return visit, a close call shook us to the core when a rock narrowly missed striking the head of a colleague who accompanied me. Several months later, when we revisited the location, we were surprised to find a group of kids camping nearby. 
The night took an unexpected turn when one of the kid's fathers, overcome with fear, charged into the woods brandishing a shotgun in an attempt to confront whatever had terrified them. Finally, on our most recent visit, Stasha and I managed to capture unidentifiable figures on thermal imaging, further adding to the enigma that surrounded Hatchet Creek. These encounters have left an indelible mark on our lives, igniting a curiosity and fascination for the unknown. We continue to seek answers, yearning to unravel the mysteries that lie hidden within the depths of the wilderness, forever humbled by the untamed forces that coexist alongside us. This story begins on a cool summer night in the city of Issaquah, Washington in the year of 1989. I was a patrol sergeant, on night shift with a squad of four officers. The night had been uneventful until approximately 3 a.m. Myself and an officer I will identify as John responded to an alarm at a business located in an exclusive shopping area known as Gilman Village. It is made up of older homes and buildings that were moved into an area near Isakwa Creek connected by a wooden walkway. Gilman Village is a very popular shopping destination for tourists and locals alike. I as a police officer enjoyed walking through the complex while working night shift for the exercise and to window shop at the many interesting stores. Receiving alarms at the different businesses throughout Gilman was common and most of the time uneventful. But on this particular night, there was nothing common or uneventful about it. John and I responded to the alarm at a business, which was then called the Levy Coat Factory. We performed an outer perimeter check of the building and found it to be secure. Dispatch made phone contact with the owner who declined to respond to allow us to check the interior of the building. John and I returned to the parking lot located on the northwest side of the complex. This is the area where we had parked our patrol units. John and I stood outside and carried on a conversation in the dimly lit parking lot approximately 60 to 70 feet away from the buildings in that portion of the village. The buildings were to my left and to John's right. Both of us noticed an unusual movement near the eaves of one of the buildings. It was a ball of light about the size of a cantaloupe, moving slowly from left to right following the area just below the eaves. The light was very intense. We started the light until it disappeared around the south side of the building. Goosebumps prevailed. Officer John and I looked at each other eyes wide open, each asking at the same time, did you see that? What we had seen was strange enough, but nothing compared to what we were about to witness. While we stood and talked about the strange event, our eyes were once again drawn to the northwest corner of the same building, only this time it was the lower corner. A perfect ball of very intense light approximately one foot off the ground floated around the corner. The ball was about four feet in diameter and once again a perfect sphere. The thing that made me speechless was what I had seen inside the sphere. Walking upright was, for the lack of any other word, a creature walking. The arms swung back and forth and the hands were turned with its fingers pointed to the rear. As the sphere progressed along the side of the building, it went behind bushes that grew in between the sphere and the parking lot. The light was visible through the openings of the bush, and it was very clear that it was not being projected. As I recall, at least a full three minutes passed before either John or I could speak. To put it lightly, we were terrorized by the unknown. 
This event changed the way I think and look at stories by others claiming encounters with the unknown. John and I never spoke about the event until 2010. I work supply in the Air Force, and we have a couple creepy stories about our warehouse that I always thought were just the other guys having fun. So one night I stayed up real late and decided to go sleep at the shop to catch a couple hours of sleep before work. I kept all the lights off and passed out in the office, and about an hour and I start to wake up to all these noises. Sounds like someone's running around the warehouse. So I look out the doorway and don't see anything. And all of a sudden, there's a crash in the room next to mine. The chair was spinning and stopped perfectly facing the desk I was at, and all the computer screens turned on. I went outside and smoked till everyone else showed up lol. This happened four years ago around New Year's at my house. I live in a pretty wooded area of Maryland. I actually have a nice trail in my backyard that leads to a stream. I go down here a lot with friends, my dog, and even just by myself. I've never encountered another person along this stream anytime I've been there. Because of this, I've always felt pretty at ease there, but still a bit cautious knowing my whole neighborhood could just as easily walk down their backyards and get to this stream or people from the neighborhood against ours. On this day, we had some cousins over, I believe, to watch a Ravens game and just get together for the holidays. It was unusually warm for late December, probably around 50s, 60s. We all moved outside to supervise my little cousins throwing a football around. My mom suggested that I take my younger cousins down the trail to the stream to burn off some energy. Honestly, I didn't want to because I was so bloated from food, but I did. I herded four pubescent boys down the trail to the stream, and they kinda ran off ahead of me to climb on things and do whatever. I just hung behind to watch over them and make sure nobody did anything especially stupid while playing on my phone. I kinda got this weird feeling while I was down there and felt not at ease, almost like a premonition. I turned around to look behind me and scanned the woods. The first scan, everything was fine. Then I saw it. There was a dark figure in the distance that looked male, but I'm not entirely sure because of the distance, who was half behind a tree, almost as if he was hiding and peeking out at me. When I spotted him, rather than go back behind the tree, he stepped out and just stood beside the tree while I stared back. I had a really bad feeling and got the largest chill and immediately yelled for the boys to come back. They didn't listen to me at first, but I told them to get their asses back and didn't say why. Just started hauling ass up the trail and made it back safely to my house, where I told everyone about the encounter. I'm sure nothing bad would have happened if we had stayed down there, but I really didn't want to find out. The Martin family had downsized their lives. A workplace injury had devastated Eric, and Shelley had left her job to take care of her Who's Band. As a result, they were looking for a less expensive place to live. Shelley had found a beautiful, older farm in Palmyra that was just what they needed. It was surrounded by dense woods. Eric's family had always been hunters, and his fairly extensive collection of guns was a bone of contention with Shelley. 
With the help of Eric's son, Sean, Eric built a strongbox to hold the guns under lock and key in the barn. Eric and Shelley had a routine of evening coffee on the sheltered porch, provided it wasn't too cold out. One night, they noticed strange, pulsating lights down past the tree line. At first, Sean thought it was just a poacher with a flashlight, but something didn't seem right. Shelley thought it was unnatural. Eric and Sean headed out into the field to investigate. As they approached the woods, the lights went out. It was so quiet, the snap of a tree branch underfoot echoed. Eric sent Sean around with his flashlight off, hoping to catch any potential poacher unaware. Eric felt something far beyond any fear he'd ever felt hunting. All Eric and Sean found was each other, not even a track on the ground to give them a hint of what they'd seen. Chelsea's boyfriend Nathan came for a visit, and they decided to go for a walk in the woods with the dogs. The dogs ran out ahead of them, catching a scent. When Chelsea and Nathan caught up, the dogs were rooting around by a large hole in the ground. Nathan thought the overly round hole had been dug with care. Chelsea had a bad feeling about the whole thing and urged him to leave. Finally, he agreed. What had the dogs found? It was Memorial Day weekend, and Shelley was making the evening coffee. The dogs didn't want to go outside to their pen. Something wasn't right. Eric noticed that it was particularly quiet on that misty evening. When Eric heard an odd sound in the distance, he knew there was some sort of danger out there. Eric began to usher Shelley into the house. She protested, but when she heard some rustling in the distance, a compa nigh by five sets of eyes looking back at them, she realized the danger. They rushed into the house and locked the door. Eric knew it wasn't a bear, but it was huge and dangerous. The guns were in the barn, and Eric wasn't sure his family was safe in the house. Eric want Ed to get the guns, but Shelley told him to stay. She went up to Chelsea's room and woke her daughter. Chelsea was half awake when she looked out the window, but laid back down and went back to sleep. All five of the creatures were still there. One stood on its hind legs and looked right at Shelley. Eric felt an instinct to protect his family. With the creatures in the distance, he thought that he might be able to get the family car backed up close enough to get them out. Even with his disability, Eric went outside. Shelley went through the house, closing the windows. She finally found the two hunting dogs hiding in a shadowed corner. If the dogs were scared, Shelley was concerned. When Eric reached the porch, he realized that he might have the distance to get there. It was going to be the longest 20 feet of his life. He started to slowly walk toward the car. When he finally reached it, grabbing the keys and trying to unlock the door, the motion sensor lights popped on. Eric was frightened and very vulnerably. Suddenly, he was face to face with one of the creatures. It tried to reach into the light, but something stopped it. It bolted off into the darkness. Eric made for the house as quickly as he could. They decided to call the police, hoping for someone else to drive in while they remained sheltered. The police didn't take them seriously, telling Chalet to close the windows and lock the doors. Nobody was coming. They were on their own. Shelley heard them approach. They were on the other side of the outside wall, and if they wanted in, they were going to get in. Her family was being held hostage in their own house by these creatures. They weren't able to get the guns. 
There weren't any police coming. What were they going to do? Grabbing every sharp implement they could find, Shelley went and woke Chelsea. They needed all hands awake and alert. They all went into the master bedroom and laid on top of the bed, armed, waiting on daylight to come. When they heard the creatures outside, they were petrified. The only thing between the Martins and the creatures was the bedroom window. When morning came, they could finally breathe a sigh of relief. The creatures were gone. Eric called Sean, who came over and helped look for tracks. The tracks they did find were huge, with enormous claws. They showed a creature who could walk on two feet. These creatures had been hunting, stalking. Were they werewolves? To this day, nobody knows. When I was 11 years old, I went camping with my dad and my stepmom in a small town in West Virginia called Barnum. The park we went camping in was called the Barnum Whitewater area. Anyways, there wasn't a place to shower, and the bathrooms were just a hole in the ground and there aren't words to describe how vile they were. Our cabin was nice and cozy and was maybe 20 feet away from the river. One night, we decided to leave the campground to grab some food because we had almost no food. So we went to get some food, it was really good lol. But anyways, we went back to the campground around 9.30-10 and decided to drive around, well, about one quarter of the way around. There was a girl randomly standing on the side of the road with what looked like a torch. We pulled up to ask her if she was okay, and she froze, we thought she was drunk and drove off. As we came back around about seven or eight dune buggies come around the corner, and you're not allowed to have those in that campground. We were like whatever and went to the cabin. We saw that the screen to the window was pried open like someone tried to break into our cabin. We were debating on leaving and going back to where we live New Jersey when a guy comes up to us with that same girl we saw in the woods. He asked if we knew her because she was scaring him and his two kids. We said no and he walked off and the girl followed. We decided to get the hell out of there, and while we were packing inside, she comes up the driveway and sits down on the porch, and we tell her to get the hell off of the porch, and she starts crying and runs away. The final time we saw her, she came up the driveway and started calling my stepmom her mom and my dad her dad, and we had not a damn clue who the hell this girl was. I can't really remember much about her, but I know she was blonde and she was pretty tall. And finally, we left. Now we called the police, but they said they couldn't help us for two reasons. One, we had already left, and two, the cops are not active after midnight. What if someone's being attacked or threatened with a gun and is about to die or something? We were in shock, so we went back and drove the freaking four hours back to New Jersey where we live, and we didn't get home until like 4 a.m. In the hazy grip of a potent high, my friend and I decided it would be a thrilling idea to sprint through the dense woods. Our senses heightened and hearts racing. We laughed uncontrollably, unaware of the danger lurking in the shadows. Suddenly, as if conjured from the foliage itself, a man clad in complete hunting gear materialized before us. His cold eyes locked onto ours, and with a commanding voice, he uttered words that froze us in our tracks. You kids are in a hunting area. Git. Time seemed to stand still as we absorbed his chilling warning. 
The weight of the situation settled upon us, drowning out our intoxicated amusement. It was a wake-up call from the realm of darkness we had blindly ventured into. The hunter's stern demeanor and the menacing glint in his eyes left an indelible mark on our psyches. Not a hunter, but me and my friends were screwing around about a mile deep into the woods near my house, and we found a pink suitcase with a name tag on it. We looked the name up, and it was the name of a missing girl. Called the cops and handed it over, but they never found her. They searched all of the woods in the area after that, and still nothing came up other than her suitcase with some clothes and some toiletries. So me, my husband, my daughter seven, and niece eight came camping this weekend. We've camped at this place four times, never had any issues. Last night, we were setting up and about to start making dinner. This was about 8 p.m. when my daughter looks at me, looks behind me, looks back at me. I said, what? She said, look behind you. There is a little kid, couldn't be more than six years old, just standing there watching my daughter and niece play with a soccer ball. I figured he was here camping too and just interested in what they were doing. My daughter invites him to play and he runs back in the woods like he got scared. I didn't see him for about 15 minutes so I figured he went back to his campsite. Then he comes back and at this point it's dark outside so we asked where his parents were. He said he didn't have parents, so I'm like. Then my husband asked if he was camping here. He screamed at my husband. My parents are dead and am homeless, I sleep in the woods. I said, okay, well, that's not safe at all, buddy. I'm going to call somebody to help you, he said. Please call them, I don't have a family. So I start to call the non-emergency line. I gave him some food and a Gatorade and told him to hang out until help got here. Cops got there about 10 minutes later. They start trying to talk to him. He takes off running into the woods and yells that his brother will be back for us. Cops chased after him. No idea what happened after that, but I did not sleep a wink last night. It was the creepiest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. There's no houses within 10 miles of here. I'm so worried about him, but so creeped out about the brother thing. For the past three days, I've been hearing something screaming, help me, help me, arg help me, on and off. Everything started the night after my fiance saw something unexplainably creepy at the skate park near the woods while walking the dogs. We were walking our two dogs and we planned to go down to the skate park to train the dogs some more in agility. The park is small, only consisting of about three medium ramps and one that barely reaches mid shin on myself. The skate park is down in a sort of valley, and we have to go down some steps to get to it, and is surrounded by woods on all sides. As I was about to suggest going down, I noticed my fiancé stood still staring into the skate park, while mid-panic attack and the dogs were in front of them staring on and off with the smaller one fixated and pulling. They said, someone's down there. But when I went to look, I didn't see anyone or anything down there, and it was dead quiet. No, there isn't. I looked and I can't see anyone. No, seriously, there are people down there. Looks like a cult or something. They said half joking and half panicked. We need to go home. 
I was confused and thought it was their mind playing tricks because it was dark and still wanted to go down like something was inviting me that's what it felt like in hindsight. In the moment something was making me feel annoyed and frustrated at not being able to go down there. No come on there's no one down there it's okay we can go and run with the dogs. No no I want to go home. Seriously please can we just go home? They mentioned they heard a scream coming from the woods but again I heard nothing. And the second time they heard it, they turned and walked off quickly and I followed. For the rest of the night, they were really uneasy to the point I was worried for them. They were drawing what they saw trying to make sense of it, while struggling to make much sense themselves. Talking about demons, nuns, deer, goats, skull-headed man, etc. It creeped me the F out and I asked to drop the topic, but I knew something wasn't right. The next day was okay taking the dogs for a walk the usual amount, feeling better about the whole situation. Then I heard something. The first time I heard it, it was around 3 a.m. and I heard what sounded like a drunk or heavily injured man screaming for help. Nothing specific, just help me, help me. Og help me. And the occasional screaming. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. It circled our housing complex and got louder near the window right by our bed. I got up to look out of the window and I saw a figure. It looked like a man in a gray tracksuit with his hood up, and he was walking away from us about 200 meters, 300 meters from our window. Staggering, drunk or injured, but seemingly unbothered. Still screaming, help me. The thing is the screaming was completely emotionless and uninterested. It stopped shortly after I saw the figure. The second time was around 8 a.m. The next day, the same emotionless screaming circling the house that lasted for about five minutes before cutting off mid-scream. I chalked it up to just some drunk kid wanting to scare people or cause a scene. Or perhaps it was someone with mental health issues in an episode. I then heard it a few hours later as I left to walk the dogs coming from the forest that our front door overlooks. Still emotionless in the same words. Help me, help me, Og, help me. There were two men by the road fixing up their bikes and people on their balconies smoking, but no one seemed to hear what I was hearing. So I carried on ignoring it. It didn't stop for the ten minutes I was out there letting the dogs pee and poo, and carried on even as I entered the house. It eventually stopped and some family came to visit, but when I walked out the house to get a drink from the shop, I heard it start up again. It started the second I opened the door and didn't stop even as I was walking down the stairs to the shop or as I came out of the shop and walked in the house. It carried on for about five minutes after I entered the house again, just repeatedly screaming, help me, help me, please, and screaming. Now my brain is repeating it like tinnitus, the same thing over and over again, while my head hurts more and more from the screaming. Help me, help me, please. Og, help me. The same order just over and over and over and over and over again. 
I'm getting a migraine while typing this because the screaming just won't stop and it's getting louder, and I don't know what it is or why it's happening or what could be doing it. Years ago, me and five other people were drinking in the forest preserve. All but one of us were young men. This spot of preserve was surrounded by busy streets and had a large field with a creek that ran through the middle. The north part had a small patch of trees. They were very dense. If you walked 10 feet in, you could not be seen from the street. We would park on residential streets and walk from the south and cross the creek. We felt like where we went into the trees, we could see any car or person coming way before they could see us. To the north was a busy intersection, a lot with a restaurant and large store, and a parking lot that is closed after sundown. There is nowhere to easily park to the north, cemetery to the east, and no parking to the west. There are some houses to the northeast and northwest. We are in the woods, drinking and being loud. The road noise covered us very well. At some point, one of us stops and is staring to the north. He whispers someone is there. All I can see is the silhouette of legs through the trees. Someone walked through the whole patch of trees from the north to us, maybe 10 feet into the woods on the south end of the trees. They are standing maybe 15 to 20 feet away. We didn't hear anything. Someone saw the silhouette when headlights hit the woods for a second. We are standing there, all of us quiet. The person is not moving. They are standing still in the trees. Fallen trees are blocking most of them, but I can still see legs. We start to argue whether or not it's even a person. Finally, my friend shouts, hello to the person. Not a sound or move. He starts to take a step and asks, do you know what time it is? The person finally moves. I can see them walking back to the north, slowly and quietly. They don't say a word, and very quickly we can no longer see them. We ran out of the woods and regrouped on the tree line to the south. We ended up finishing our beers and left an hour later. We did not go back into the woods that night. We never saw a car leave the lot or side street. I always figured they had to have walked from somewhere not near the woods. I also wondered what they were doing that six people didn't scare them off. A couple of us are big guys. It was the creepiest thing that has ever happened to me. As my friends and I were driving back home from the prom, we found ourselves on a secluded country road, nestled amidst the Portland-Vancouver area. It was during this journey that I noticed something unsettling, something that sent a shiver down my spine. Glimpsing at one of the houses along that road, an inexplicable sense of unease washed over me. The feeling was so strong that I couldn't shake it off. Curiously, I observed that this eerie sensation seemed to permeate most of the houses lining that street, creating an atmosphere of dread and foreboding. Although none of us initially mentioned it, I eventually confided in one of my friends, a remarkably perceptive empath, who confirmed experiencing the same unsettling vibes. It was a relief to know that I wasn't alone in my apprehension. What struck me about these houses was their distinct appearance. They had a peculiar architectural style, characterized by front yards that seemed to extend inward, creating an enclosed atmosphere. All of them followed a ranch-style design, and their front yards boasted gardens adorned with numerous small pine trees. 
I couldn't pinpoint whether it was the house's appearance alone or something more intangible that triggered such a strong reaction within me. However, the moment we left that road, an overwhelming sense of relief washed over me, gradually dissipating the haunting feeling that had plagued us. Nonetheless, the events of that night linger in my mind, leaving me with questions that demand answers. I wonder if anyone else has had a similar experience in that area. Has this phenomenon been observed by others? I'm open to hearing theories and explanations that could shed light on what caused these unsettling vibes and the palpable sense of dread we encountered that night. Not police or military, but a firefighter I have too that I found creepy. The first was an old church that in the 70s a local business bought. They used it as file storage before the building was condemned for not being livable. We got called for a remote alarm through a security company. A pretty standard call. Anyways, on arrival, we did a 360 walk around. Couldn't see anything but found a few broken windows. So we make entry through the front and just walk around with just flashlights. The dust, decaying rooms and creaking of wood from other teens walking was unsettling. Then the audible alarm sounded. Just about jumped out of our skin. We find the panel shut it off and as we turn around, two cops are standing behind us. One surprised jump and hearty laugh later, and we were out having found nothing. The second was smoke in the building at a telecom relay house where they keep local servers for phone and internet. We were walking around, could smell electronics burning sea hazy smoke, but didn't find a fire. Additionally, the whole building had a very Stranger Things vibe that none of us could shake. During our two-month training stint at White Sands, New Mexico, my unit had an interesting experience that, while not particularly eerie, left us in awe. We were in the midst of a night range exercise, diligently shooting away, when suddenly it seemed as if someone had switched on a fairly bright light. Naturally, frustration arose among us because such brightness interferes with our night vision goggles and VGS. But then, out of nowhere, a tremendous clap of thunder resonated through the air, halting our shooting and capturing our attention. Every soldier directed their gaze upward, trying to comprehend what had just occurred. What we witnessed was nothing short of extraordinary. A colossal meteorite had streaked through the atmosphere, exploding into fragments that illuminated the night sky with a brilliance akin to daylight. In that moment, our frustration melted away, replaced by pure amazement and wonder. The entire area was bathed in an ethereal glow, courtesy of this celestial spectacle. It served as a reminder of the vastness and unpredictability of the universe, leaving an indelible mark on our memories. While it may not have been spooky, it was undoubtedly a breathtaking encounter with the grandeur of nature's cosmic dance. I always loved being up in the woods of Washington. The cold, frigid air cuts through my clothes and makes my bones cold. The kind of cold that makes your soul take a deep breath. I muster my strength upon a steep incline through these woods. I keep on telling myself, one more step is all I need. When you know you're in a tight spot, you always encourage, or for myself, I lie to myself. Helps keep me going. 
I turn around as I finally reach the campsite and welcome the achievement of life that I'm at. The sun is now going down and I pitch up my three-step pop-up tent. I begin to crawl into my half-made tent like a dog runs to its kennel after being awake all day. I take my baby wipes out and begin bird bathing myself. Even though I am freezing I know sweat is all over my body especially the amount of layers I wear currently. Jeans off, jacket off, sweater off, socks off, shorts off. Uh, I feel relaxed and refreshed cleaning myself off after this 8 hour trek through the woods of Mount St. Helens. I open my map and begin to chart my next destination in dreams of Mount Rainier after St. Helens. Crack, I pause and carefully peek out my tent liner. I don't see anyone or anything. I lay down enjoying the nature around me and begin to drift off. Crack, I sit up and open my liner and I see a face. A uh, heart pounding and this pale white man runs across my tent into the tree line. I begin looking through my bag to find bear mace and my camping axe. I clutch it with white knuckles as hard as I can and I step out my tent. I turn around and see a ring of men in black robes around my campsite staring at me. I run into my tent and phone for the park rangers. Rangers pick up and I scream. Help, I'm being stalked. There's dozens of people around me. Please get here as fast as possible. I stay in my tent staring at my phone with every minute passing by I become more fearful. Breathing speeding up with every breath anxiety shaking my body. All I hear is, who phoned for the rangers? I bolt out of my tent to see two rangers on four wheelers armed with hunting rifles. I look and no one is around us, just me and the rangers. I hop on their four-wheeler and one hour later I get returned to their office. I get handed a bulky camera and I cycle through the photos. Pictures of me throughout my hike were taken. Distant shots and pics of me even urinating outside. Till this day I don't go to the woods near Mount St. Helens. I'm a retired guy in his late 60s who lived in Upper Northeast Pennsylvania close to the New York border in an area known as the Endless Mountains near Forkston Mountain in Wyoming County. I've lived there for 25 years. I moved south in 2020. My property was too large for one guy to care for because I lived alone. These beings let me know their presence only two days after moving in. I bought my acreage in the 1980s and then built the house later. I lived on a dirt road and had two neighbors, one on each side of me, both a quarter mile away. There's a pond and swamp 200 yards down from the house, and on the other side of the pond is a small open area and the beginning of a rugged set of woods. There was a field on one side of the house and woods. Across the road was a small open area and a mile-long section of woods. That was their area, the Sasquatch people. Of course, make no mistake, this was the wilderness and I lived alone, so I really didn't want any interactions with them, although they tried really hard to have it with me. I saw all the different wildlife there, including a bear hybrid, wild dogs, and a puma which I had on trail cam three times. I also had a backyard sighting after a few years of living there. I was able to get an old jeep along with a tractor and brush cutter and proceeded to make jeep trails on over 200 acres the trails went through the woods, fields, and hills. It was not all my land, but with the permission of the other landowners, I was able to make some awesome trails. 
My first suspicions of weird stuff going on were when trees started being pushed down across the trails in various places. But it wasn't one tree, it was multiple trees being pushed down in the same spot. They were live trees, not rotten ones. In one section of the trail over the years, it happened at least 10 to 12 times with a 20-foot section of trail, and it would happen from one day to the next, with no wind or storms. Fast forward to 2009 when my daughter and family flew in from Phoenix for a visit. Living in the desert, my grandson and granddaughter never saw the woods, so we wanted to hike into the woods about 100 yards down from the pond dam. My daughter was snapping pictures with a good quality digital camera while we descended down a ravine and we crossed over a small stream and up the other side. Suddenly, my seven-year-old grandson, who is autistic, took off through the woods running away from us. I go and chase him. Enclosed are photos related to our walk. The first photo she took was on our descent down the ravine. She never noticed a small forest being standing down by the stream until she looked closely at the photo a few months later. The little guy was about 50 to 60 yards down from us just next to the creek. He looks only to be about two and a half feet tall. He looks partially cloaked. The second photo of him is through a filter. The other photo shows why I think my grandson took off running. He must have sensed or seen the shadow being or a cloaked forest being and got scared. That is not a smudge in the camera. A few months after my daughter's visit, I was cruising the trail alongside those same woods and as I was cruising by, I saw a partially cloaked being in the same woods. It was much larger than the one in the photo. It looked like it was gliding through the woods, not bobbing up and down like we do when we walk. It was large and dark. I retired in 2012, so I was spending all my time home and around the property. This is when all the crazy stuff started happening. In August 2012, I had a daylight UFO sighting through binoculars. It was in the evening after dinner, and I was in my off-roader cruising around the pond. I saw this very large, bright gold silent V-shaped craft in the sky. It was not a stealth jet or a triangular-shaped craft, but a V-shaped craft. I stopped the vehicle, grabbed my binoculars, and watched it until it went out of sight over the hill. A few days later I found two barefoot prints down on the pond dam. No human in the right mind would walk in that area barefoot. I could not stop thinking about the UFO and the possible connection. I had thoughts that Sasquatch was a really intelligent being. About a week later, I would make two wood knocks for five straight evenings just after it turned dark. I would go out on the front porch and swing it two times on the porch posts. It echoed really well. There were no replies, but be careful what you wish for. That was the beginning for me. A few days later, I heard two knocks from the woods from across the dirt road. Then again the next day. That wasn't all that happened. I heard loud, bizarre screaming sounds twice during the day coming from those same woods. I was the only one around during the day because the neighbors worked. To confirm what I heard my friend's 90-year-old mother, who lived under a mile away, heard the same scream on the same day. My friend is aware of these beings also. He had a sighting on his property, and I heard of another sighting about half a mile away as well. I was friendly with one of my other neighbors, and he told me his sister was visiting for a week. While sitting on the back porch at night, she heard a very loud knock coming from the woods below the house. 
The next day I went outside and heard a tree crashing down in the woods. I also told my other neighbor about these beings because he had two young kids and to never let them out and about at night. He snickered a bit, but he knew I was serious and got the message. I also heard strange hoots coming from the woods across from me in the middle of the day. It was not an owl. It went on for at least 10 minutes. I knew it had to be them. One nice fall evening, I was watching TV in my living room with the front windows open. Suddenly, I heard very loud speaking coming from the woods across the road. It overpowered the TV sound. It was just garbled speech, and I couldn't understand a word. I jumped up and ran out onto the front porch, but saw nothing. It was all starting to creep me out, especially because I was living alone. I decided not to have interactions with them. I also had weird things going on in my house. I don't think it was a Sasquatch, I could be wrong. But it was frightening. One morning during the spring of 2013, I noticed two gifts left for me in the front yard. My daughter was also aware of some of the activities. She took a photo of a Sasquatch that was about 100 feet or so from where she was standing. There were so many unexplained things happening around there that I eventually decided to sell the property and move elsewhere. My daughter was also concerned for my safety. I may later go into detail with you about the other activity and things I witnessed. I had embarked on a camping expedition along the picturesque shoreline of Alaska as part of my field work. Although my intention was not hunting, the allure of the untamed wilderness and the serenity it offered drew me to this remote location. As the sun began to set, casting an amber hue across the rugged landscape, I settled into my campsite, ready to embrace the tranquility of the night. Fatigue gradually enveloped me, and I found myself drifting into a deep slumber. The rhythmic lullaby of the waves crashing against the shore served as a soothing backdrop, lulling me further into the realm of dreams. Unbeknownst to me, danger lurked in the darkness, silently awaiting its moment to disrupt the peaceful ambience. In the heart of the night, a sudden eruption shattered the tranquility. A deep, angry grunting sound reverberated through the stillness, tearing me from my sleep-induced bliss. Instinctively, my hand shot out, searching for the comforting familiarity of my bear spray, a vital companion in the untamed wilderness of Alaska. The adrenaline coursing through my veins drowned out the pounding of my heart as I raised my voice, bellowing, Hey bear! Yet, to my dismay, the menacing sound persisted, unyielding and relentless. Time seemed to stretch agonizingly as the grunts resonated with an air of hostility, hanging heavy in the nocturnal air. Dread clutched at my core, and the realization dawned upon me that this could be the end, an encounter with a formidable predator that could shatter the tranquility of this night forever. Just as despair began to tighten its grip, a sudden disruption broke through the tumultuous symphony of grunts. A colossal splash echoed in the darkness, rippling across the surface of the water. The source of the mysterious growls was revealed a sea lion, its powerful presence cutting through the veil of fear that had enveloped me. Relief washed over me like a tidal wave, mingled with a tinge of embarrassment at my initial misinterpretation. The sea lion, perhaps startled by my presence or simply expressing its territorial nature, had unwittingly caused my heart to race and my thoughts to plunge into a state of panic. 
It was a powerful reminder of the untamed beauty and unpredictability of the natural world. As the sea lion's growls dissipated into the night, I was left with a newfound appreciation for the serenity that camping in Alaska offered, tinged with a lingering unease. The memory of that fateful night would forever be etched in my mind, a testament to the raw power and primal instincts that reside in even the most seemingly innocuous creatures of the wild. And as I lay there, with the echoes of the sea lion's growl fading into the distance, I silently vowed never to underestimate the symphony of nature again. I was turkey hunting, fall gobbler I think if I recall correctly. Anyway, I was walking to my spot in my orange and had just started to tuck it away for non-hunters, turkey can see color. So the regulation states that hunters need to wear 250 square inches of orange while moving, but you can take it off and just wear regular camo when you get to your spot. In my MNGMT zone, you just need to put some orange somewhere within 15-ish feet of you to let other hunters know you are in the area and to be vigilant. Anyway, I just finish up stowing my orange away and sit down and start using my call. I eventually hear something coming from a ways away, and it's calling back to me another hen. Boy turkey gobble. Girl turkey make a squeaky chucking noise like, uick uick. As the sound gets closer, I start to think that it sounds too big to be a turkey. Maybe it's a small flock. I go to call again and a shot goes off far too close to me and I shit bricks. I had not seen anyone come in, nor had I seen any orange hanging in a tree to signify someone else was hunting there, so I thought I was pretty isolated. Another shot goes off closer and the chucking call starts back up. Now I'm certain of two things. One, there is no turkey. They would have scattered if nearby because of the shots. Two, I have an idiot out here trying to stalk me thinking I am a turkey, and he's following my calls and shooting blind or seeing me move and assuming I'm a bird. Either way I'm shitting bricks. I decide to yell out, Ho oh, but, I'm not a bird quit shooting, and another shot goes off. I'm terrified to so much as wiggle a finger at this point because I can't see this guy but I know he's shooting in my direction and trigger happy. I'm sitting there hollering that I'm a human and contemplating the idea of moving to grab my orange and wave it to signify to this guy that he's shooting at a person when a third shot goes off, and I actually hear the BBS hitting shit near me. I hit the deck and laid flat for like two hours, absolutely shitting myself until I was sure they were gone. For any non-hunters out there, this is a known issue within turkey hunting because you need to remove your visibility orange, and because you are calling as an attractant, some assholes will attempt to stalk what they think is a turkey and end up stalking another hunter, and in their idiot fervor, they shoot at the first thing that moves. Say another hunter itching their nose. A good number of people had died that way, and it made me swear off turkey hunting. 